if you've been with us over the past couple of weeks, this is something that you've heard before, but I think it's something that's important to hit on, especially as we dig into a topic on, on finances, a topic on generosity. Uh, we've been in this series for about four weeks. This is our, our last week of the Enough series. And so if you've had enough, uh, then th- don't worry, this is the last week of it. Uh, but one of the things that I want to highlight real quick here, uh, just the heart of Meadowland, the heart of our church here, is that if you have never given financially to Meadowland, if you never plan to give financially to Meadowland, you are still welcome in this place. You are still loved by us. You are still loved by God. We, we don't, it's not a if-then kind of thing. If you give, then we'll care about you. No, that is not the case. It couldn't be further from our heart. You are welcome in this place. So the reason we're going through this series, and we, we said this a couple different times, a couple different ways, is because we honestly want something for you. And as we look through scriptures, as we look through uh, uh, what we know about God's heart and relationship to finances, we see that, man, when, when we trust God with our finances, he pours out blessing in our life. That's what I'm talking about here this morning. So that's one of the reasons why we've been walking through this series, is we truly want something for you. And, and as we do come to a close with this series, um, I, I, I welcome your feedback. I, I honestly do. Um, if there's any major questions or issues in relationship to finances that, that you've had on your heart that you feel like we haven't covered, uh, please let, let us know what that is. My email will be up on the screen here in, in a moment. Um, let us know what those issues are, um, any, any questions that you have that we didn't cover. Uh, has this been a helpful approach? There's all kinds of different ways that you can approach this concept of finances. And so has the way that we've approached it been helpful for you? Um, what about any unaddressed baggage? I know that we all come in from different experiences and from a different place. Um, you come with all kinds of baggage from past experiences that, hey, if we would have spent some time unpacking those, that would have been helpful. I, I honestly would love to hear some feedback from you. One of the other things that we love to hear is stories of life change. As the Holy Spirit's been working in us and through us, um, how has your heart changed in relationship to generosity? And what kind of impact has that had in your life? What kind of impact have you seen that have in the lives of others as God works in and through you with this concept of generosity? If you have a story, whether small or large, uh, whether it's sensational or just everyday, um, here's how I grew in generosity. Those are all valuable. I would love to hear them. Uh, you can email me at steve at org is one of the easiest ways uh, to do that. There's also, if you download the Meadowland Church app, uh, the communication cards that we have in, in the, the bulletins, that's on the app as well. You can uh, leave us a note there. It's a great way to kind of share those stories. Um, but the heart of this whole series has been trying to move from a place of being financially frustrated to where we can be giving generously. Just acknowledge that there's all these different questions we have about our finances, all these different issues and things that we can't control. And so if, if you're still feeling frustrated, again, I think things like this crown class that we're doing uh, on Monday nights, whether you jump on this summer, whether you jump on in the fall, um, kind of learn some of the mechanics, some of the how-tos that we're going to be addressing. Uh, it covers things like debt, budgets, giving, planning, retirement, all those kind of things. You say, hey, Steve, I, I'm really looking for like some really nitty-gritty hands-on stuff. Then I, I encourage you to check out uh, one of those classes either this summer or in the fall. Well, for the past six years, I've had some kind of garden. I mean, this hasn't always been my story in life. Uh, I remember as a kid uh, in about grade school and junior high, I had a friend of mine in the neighbor- neighborhood. We kind of ran a lot of the same circles, involved in a lot of the same things, interested in a lot of the same things. And we both um, always seemed to have a, a similar ability level in whatever it was that we were doing. We kind of had this fun, friendly competition of, of who could best the other. Uh, but there was one thing about him that I, I had no relationship to. That was gardening. And he had, it wasn't just like, hey, I helped with the family garden. He had his own garden that he planted, he tilled, he sowed, he harvested, and he just, he just loved 
garden. I, I could never connect with that. And about six years ago, I started to kind of, well, let's, let's get into this gardening thing. And so I've had a garden for about six years. I don't know if you guys had a garden or not. Maybe you've had one, maybe not. Um, if you've met Betsy here, I'm going to put her on the spot a little bit. Betsy has the gift of gardening. Um, she puts on our, our food under the t- our, our summer under the tent and, and all the food kind of stuff, and you, you, know, you understand why. Uh, Betsy has this gift. I, I've never seen it happen, but I swear that she just kind of like opens her back door and gives this motherly glance towards her garden, and weeds wither and die, and, and plants just like uh, replant themselves. They, they like multiply through osmosis, and the harvest is just bountiful. I'm not sure how she does it. I've tried the same thing. And I've even walked through my garden, you know, trying to produce that kind of result. And pretty much wherever I step, weeds tend to grow, and, and mother plants hide their children plants from me. I'm not sure um, where that comes from. Just because you've had something for six years doesn't mean you're any good at it. Um, but I, I've managed to harvest I- I in the years that I, I've had a garden. Um, one of the things we always try to plant are cucumbers. We, we just something that goes over well in our home, and uh, that always tend to produce well. Uh, last year we had some zucchini, and, and they just went crazy, insane. Took over half the garden. We had more zucchini than you know what to do with. You can turn zucchini into all kinds of good meals. Surprised me. I didn't. I didn't realize that. Um, but uh, yeah, that was, we learned that last year. Um, tomatoes vary, you know, from year to year. Nothing fantastic. We never really had this amazing uh, harvest of tomatoes. One of the things we try to do is, hey, if you want more tomatoes, you plant more tomato plants, uh, which seems like rocket science. But I look at it, we'll have that, that many more plants to weed and to take care of and to tend to. But you know, it seems to work. Uh, one of the things that I was really impressed by. Uh, we have this, this patch of garden that we're trying to get strawberries just to take over and just be this mass pile of strawberries. A- and uh, weeds, again, everywhere I step, everywhere I look in our garden, weeds just tend to sprout up. And this, this section has been overrun by weeds, and we're actually we're just hitting it pretty hard last week, pulling all the weeds out, trying to get them by the root. And I got to this spot where <laughs> there wasn't a single leaf on this thing. It was just one little shoot with a strawberry on the end. And I'm like, man, that, there's a sermon illustration in there somewhere uh, that this little strawberry plant somehow survived in the midst of all these, you know, three-foot-high weeds. You get this one little strawberry in there. But the berry found a way. Um, you know what? I've never, never had the chance to harvest in my garden. I've never harvested corn. We have corn every year. It's something we always buy in bulk and, and, and freeze it and whatnot, and it's, it's awesome if you've never done it. I've never had corn. I've never had pumpkins. You know, we have pumpkins every, every uh, Halloween. My kids carve them, and we do different things with them. We roast the seeds. But I, I've never harvested corn or pumpkins. Now, I shouldn't be surprised by that because, honestly, I've never planted corn or pumpkins. You know, it, it just makes sense. I, I, I don't know. If, if you're new to gardening, let me, that, that's a free one right there. If you don't plant it, it's not going to grow. Um, but see, there, there's some basic principles of, of gardening I, I want to give you here. You can't harvest where you've never planted. Now, now some of you are, are, are cynics out there, and I, I, I can relate to that. You're like, well, hang on a second. No, you know, the bird could eat a tomato seed and then fly over and plant that seed in his excrement, and then all of a sudden a tomato grows, and it gives you a new way to look at tomatoes. But, oh, yes, nature does all that. But if you were to go and, and, and prepare a plot in your backyard, say, this is my garden, and did nothing more, and expect to walk out there in, in a few months and have peas and, and cucumbers and tomatoes and watermelons and corn, it, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. You cannot harvest where you've not planted. It's one of the simple concepts of gardening. We've, we've sown green beans, and, um, you know, one of this year, in the past, we're like, oh, it would be nice to have some green beans, but this year my wife wants to try pickling beans. Uh, she's never had it. We've had a few that are pretty awesome, so we're going to try that pickling green beans. And um, so we, we, we want more green beans, so we sowed more seeds. 
Now, again, knowing my history, we'll probably get two or three, but um, we've sown many seeds because we want a greater harvest. That kind of leads to the second principle I want to share here on gardening. And we're going to get to God in a moment here, but just, just stick with me. Um, we can't control the harvest beyond the sowing of seed. We can't control the harvest beyond the sowing of seeds. Again, the cynic's going to say, oh, no, there's all kinds of stuff you can do. There, there's soil preparations, all these things you can do before you plant. And then you plant. And then there's, are you going to fertilize it? Are you going to treat the bugs and, and, and make sure that no bugs get at it? Are you going to put a fence up to keep the big animals away? Are you going to do crop rotation? There's all these different things we can do. A- and you're right. You're right. We can do those things. But at the end of the day, you can do everything right or everything wrong. You can go the Betsy Zarco way of gardening or the Steve Erickson way of gardening. Either way you want to go, and you still have no control over what happens with that seed. You have no control o- over the, the harvest it's going to produce. We can influence it some maybe, right? But we don't have control of that. We, we can't make that seed grow. That's something that only the seed can do. We can't make that seed bear fruit. That's something that the plant does. We can't harvest where we've never planted, and we can't control the harvest beyond sowing seed. These principles may seem like common sense when it comes to gardening. It took me six years of gardening to get to this point, so be be nice. Uh, But they hold true to our finances as well, and that's where we're going. These these basic truths hold well. These basic truths hold true in regard to our finances as well. Each week that we've been going through this series, we've sought to, to seek out God's truth, God's heart in relationship to generosity, God's heart in relationship to our finances. And as we desire to move from this place of being frustrated with it to, to being able to give generously, we've been walking through Second Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. We're going to be closing out chapter 9 here in a moment. But we've, we've learned some things already. First, we learned that we are to give to God first and then to others. We saw this as uh, the Apostle Paul shared the story of the Macedonian church, right? Remember that one uh, from, from week one? How they'd given in the midst of their poverty, in the midst uh, of being afflicted, and yet they wanted to give. They just, God had done such a work in them because they had received much from God in other ways. They wanted to give, and so we learned that we're to give to God first and then to others. And secondly, we talked about how we're called to equal sacrifice and not equal giving. Called to equal sacrifice and not equal giving. Not equal amounts there. We love to talk about how our abundance can be used to meet the needs of others. And, and that we may be at a time when we find ourselves in need and, and others' abundance can meet our needs. We should do life together in the midst of community so that we can uh, live out those truths together. And then we learn uh, in week three about how a healthy Christian, a healthy follower of Christ, is a giving follower of Christ. That this concept of giving, this concept of generosity, isn't just something that's a neat idea and something fun to do. But this is a part of who we are and who God is making us to be. And we see that Jesus modeled this in the way that he gave. And last week we talked about, uh, in 2 Corinthians 9, that, that giving is to be done willingly and cheerfully. Willingly and cheerfully. And we ask this question, well, how, how do you do something cheerfully? Hey, be, be happy about that, won't well, how, how do I just add happiness to something? How do I add cheer? Uh, um, the Greek in some of these terms actually come back to this, this concept of, of hilarity. How can I give in a hilarious sort of way? It doesn't mean drawing faces on George Washington when you give that dollar. Uh, but how can I give with cheer? And uh, wh- where's your heart is what we talked about. And we looked at the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. Um, where basically you have these two sons and, and the one uh, said to his dad, you're dead to me, took his inheritance, went and blew it all uh, on wild living in the short version of the story is, is he came back hoping to just simply be a servant because there was, there was no life for him. His way led to death. But he comes 
back to the father, hoping to just be a servant. But the father says, no, you are my son. And he bestows sonship on him by putting his, his robe on him and his ring on him and hugging him and throwing a party for him. He says, you are my son. And the other brother who stayed back, who was obedient to the father, who was probably out working in the fields. That's why he didn't uh, see this all take place when the son, first son returned. Um, but when he heard about it, he said, hey, wh- what's going on? And instead of celebrating along with the father, what did he do? He kind of had this pity party. Well, well, you never threw a party for me, Dad. Now, I've been obedient. And we saw how uh, th- th- this part of cheerfulness begins with obedience, but also we had to go to this point of submission to the heart of the father that we saw in, in the younger son who had come back humbly. And when we do this, it moves us to this place of what we can celebrate with the father. Celebrate. Well, today we're unpacking uh, our fifth financial fundamental here. And that's this, the principle of sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 6 here this morning. Uh, again, a reminder that uh, this is a letter that's written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Corinth. Uh, in his past two chapters, he's been talking about uh, this collection that, that he's coming to take. He's sending uh, a Titus to come receive this offering. This is something they've been talking about previously. That the, the church in Jerusalem has been growing. There's all these different needs that they have. And so they're taking up this collection that he sends to the church in Jerusalem. And, and so they, they started all this. And there's supposed to be a collection. Now Paul's coming to collect. And so he's trying to encourage them and share uh, some different truths with them a, as they prepare for this. And really, at this point in, in the, the, the letter, Paul's summing up his point. He's been talking about generosity, talking about giving, and, and he's coming to a, a concluding statement here. And again, we talked about this last week a little bit. How do we know that? Well, verse 6, he says, the point is this. I think sometimes we make Scripture a little too complicated. Uh, yes, there are parts that are challenging to understand. There are parts where we really need a lot of uh, backstory to know what's going on here to really get the depth of, of what it's teaching. But sometimes, man, Scripture just robs us an easy one and says, hey, here's the point. Here's what I'm talking about. And Paul says this, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. If you sow a small amount of seed, you will reap a small amount of harvest. If you sow a large amount of seed, you will reap a large harvest. If I want a large harvest of tomatoes this year, what should I do? I should plant a lot of tomatoes. If I want a large harvest of anything, I should plant a lot of those seeds. We need to be specific here that Paul is not talking about plants. We we spent this whole intro talking about gardening. You mean Paul's not talking about plants. Paul's not talking about plants. He's using this as an illustration. Again, it may seem simple, but we we need to highlight this. Everything up until this point has been about this act of generosity. Has been about responding to this gift that's going to be collected to go to the church in Jerusalem. And the verse right after, uh, let's read that here real quick. Verse 7 and through 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. It says, we're talking about money, talking about generosity. It says, here's the point. Plant a little bit of seed, you'll get a small harvest. You plant a lot of seed, you'll get a big harvest. Hey, each person should give cheerfully and willingly. This thing's bookend by talking about finances. Paul is clearly talking about generosity and money here. Today's financial fundamental is the principle of the sower. If you sow little, you will reap little. If you sow much, you will reap much. If you give little, you will receive little. If you give generously, you will receive 
getting there. So you, you see this other places in Scripture. This is the only place that we see this principle. Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So little harvested. So much harvested. We see this principle in our culture as well. We say, oh, you reap what you sow, right? What's interesting about that in our culture, we always have a way of taking something that God made that this is awesome and beautiful, and we just kind of distort it a little bit. I I don't know about you and your experiences, but for me in my life, whenever I've heard this phrase, you reap what you sow, it's almost every time in a negative connotation. It's almost in the sense of, you got what you deserved. We need to kind of set the record straight here because what, what Paul's talking about here isn't that kind of heart. That kind of heart of, of you get what you deserve is contrary to the good news of Jesus. It's contrary to the heart of God. Because see, the gospel of Jesus says this, is that our great and glorious God, knowing that our sin, which is just basically the ways that we've gone against God, we've gone against the word of God, we've gone against his heart, we, we, we've um, gone our own way, we've been the prodigal son who said, give me my inheritance, I want to go my own way. Because of our sin, we're separated from the Father, the same way that the Son left the Father. We're separated from the Father. And so God in his goodness and his greatness said, I want to make a way for you to be in relationship with me. But that sin separates us. And so we need to deal with that sin. And so he sends Jesus to be a sacrifice. We see throughout the Old Testament where they would make a sacrifice. And the blood of that animal that was sacrificed would pay the price for that sin. The animal's death would take the place of our death, our separation. And so I could restore a relationship with God. But that was never sufficient. So that's why God sent Jesus, his son, to be a sufficient sacrifice. So that once and for all, his death on the cross could pay the price for all of our sin, past, present, and future. That's why it's such good news. We don't have to live out this this pattern of of making other sacrifices to atone for our sin. But we can put our faith and trust in Jesus. Say, by grace through faith, I believe, Jesus, that you are God and that your sacrifice on the cross pays the penalty for my sin. And so the heart of God is, hey, trust in me. Trust in Jesus as my son, and you don't get what you deserve. You don't get separation from the Father. You don't get eternal damnation. But you get forgiveness. You get grace. You get mercy. You get relationship with the Father. So we have to acknowledge that this, the way that culture has taken this, you reap what you sow, um, the connotation behind it really isn't in line with the heart of God. The heart of God has this connotation of blessing. You get what you sow. Hey, you, you can be blessed. And, and if you plant your blessing, you can get more blessing. One of the earlier weeks, we talked about this question. I think sometimes comes up a lot whenever you're talking about finances and God. Um, you, you can jump to this point where we just want to appease God. And I, the sentiment is, is good. I mean, I, I love the heart. Say, I want God to be happy with me. But sometimes it moves us to uh, maybe a, a wrong conclusion. We start asking this question, uh, how much do I have to give to God? It's this obedience question. How much do I have to give before God is happy with me and I, I can stop giving? We talked about how, well, that's a healthy place to start, uh, but we're not called to stay there. It really needs to move to this place where we, we grow in our understanding of who we are in light of God. We understand who we are because God loved us and he gave to us. And, and then we're so impacted by that love that we want to give as well. And that it becomes our identity. That this concept of giving becomes a part of who we are and it changes the question. 
See, no longer do we ask, how much do I have to give before God's happy with me? The new question is, how generous can I be? Because it's not a matter of, am I going to be generous or not? But right, no, yeah, because of who I am in Christ, yes, I want to give as well. And so now it's not a question of how much do I have to give before God is happy, but because, hey, God is already happy with me. He's already shown his love for me. Because I want to respond to that, man, how generous can I be? And the, the response to that question I would have for us this morning is, well, how blessed do you want to be? What kind of harvest do you desire to receive? And, and I, I know I sound a little sketchy right now. I don't know if you're thinking this already, but as I'm putting the sermon together, and I'm, I'm walking like, hey, Steve, you're starting to sound a little sketchy here. This is starting to sound kind of like a health and wealth kind of prosperity gospel. Where you're gonna, are you going to bust out and, and pass the plate and say, hey, if you give God 100 bucks, he'll give you 1000 It's not where we're going. Don't worry. Not where we're going. <laughs> That's not the heart of God. We're going to see that here in a moment. So we have to keep this in context. Yes, we get to a place where we can ask uh, God, how generous can I be? Knowing that as we give much, that God gives us much. We have to keep it in context. Let's go back to verse 8. Where he's talking about uh, all, God can make, is able to make all grace abound to you, so you have sufficiency in all things, so that at all times, uh, in um, all things at all times, every good work, that we can do every good work. Now, that sounds a little different than I want to give you the new car, the new house, uh, and the new toys, and, and all your, your monetary desires. And I want to give you perfect health, right? And that sounds a little different. So, okay, yes, there's a point where we can say, God, you know, how generous can I be? And the response is, well, how much blessing do you want in return? We need to keep this in context. Let's keep reading here in, in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. A couple things we need to unpack here. First of all is this. God will supply the seeds to the sower. As we sow, and then one the harvest that we reap of generosity, that God will continue to provide more seed. But again, that begins to unpack the heart as to why God is, is bestowing more blessing on us. It's not just so that we can sit in a place of comfort. But we see there, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. See, I think sometimes we get this mindset of, now, how much do I have to go back to obedience? How much do I have to obey so I can get to this point where I can just take all that I got from God and just sit and keep it to myself and just hoard it? Again, that's not the heart of God. That's not where he's taking us. That's not who we're called to be. It's not who we're being made to be. Two things that we need to address here against this health and wealth mindset. First thing is this, blessing does not equal comfort. We're promised God's blessing that does not necessarily equal comfort. Blessing does not necessarily equal an easy road. Blessing does not necessarily equal a lack of struggle. I think sometimes that's our heart when we're looking for God's blessing. God, make this easy for me. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, there's greater things that we would desire from God. Kind of things that we can't just uh, uh, go buy at the store, but God, help, help me to be at peace in the midst of this struggle. Help me to stand on, on your firm foundation 
Help me to speak after you. Help me to have the words to say to offer comfort to a loved one who's going through some pain. Help me to be filled with joy, regardless of the situation. Blessing does not equal comfort. Jesus actually tells his disciples, and this is a true statement for us as his disciples today, you will be persecuted for for me. When we live in the name of Jesus, we will be persecuted. Did Jesus model a, a lifestyle of health and wealth? He didn't have a camel that was all blinged out. I don't know if you have a low-riding camel or how that would even work. Anyway, but um, I mean, it's just he, he didn't live that lifestyle. He didn't call us that lifestyle. I, I don't know why we allow this to, to, to find its way into some of our mindsets. We can receive all that Paul is talking about, all this blessing he's talking about. We can receive much and still be in a place of difficulty in our life because of this, because of the principle of sin. Sin is present in our world. It impacts our world. Ever since uh, the first sin entered into our world, it has an impact in this world. And, and sometimes sin that has nothing to do with us can have a great impact in our lives. If you are in a family, you've experienced this. Think about it. The sin of others has an impact on you. And so sometimes we find ourselves in a place of discomfort. We find ourselves in a place of struggle. We find ourselves in a difficult road based nothing on anything that we've done. It's just the fact that we live in a broken world. And our heart goes to God and says, God, why can't you control us? Why can't you take this away? But he doesn't abandon us. There is hope in the midst of all this. On one hand, we can say that it rains on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who are following God and those who are not, you know, the, the rain falls on them both. Again, uh, rain almost has that, that connotation go both ways. You know, if you're having a barbecue, having a party outside, and it rains, you see that as a bad thing. But in the midst of a drought, man, rain is an amazing thing. We, we see this truth that it, whether you're following God or not, there, there's just some things in this life that play out in a way where sometimes those who aren't following God uh, ha- have comfort come their way or blessing come their way, and sometimes those who are following God have discomfort come their way. But the hope we can find is this. Go back to verse 8. How does that begin? But God is able. But God is able. That's another one of those lines of like God is good. If we just kind of take a moment and just really unpack that a little bit in our minds. What does that mean? That God is able. There's nothing out of our control. I know sometimes that makes this question uh, of sin in this world a little more difficult. Because we look at some of just the most horrendous things in our life and say, well, if God is able, why doesn't he do something about this? And those are difficult questions, and, and there's not an easy answer to that. But in the midst of our heartache, in the midst of our strife, in the midst of our discomfort, be uh, reminded, find hope in the truth that God is able. So first thing we need to address here against any kind of meandering into a health and wealth mindset is that blessing does not equal comfort. The second thing is this, that this this health and wealth mindset has a skewed focus. The focus is in the wrong place. That's one of the reasons why it's it's wrong. See, the focus of a prosperity gospel is me or you. It's us. What do I get? Again, the heart in there is this, what do I get to have for my own pleasure, for my own use? It's a very selfish mentality. Whereas the focus of the true gospel is God. That God has saved us for his glory, for his pleasure, for his will. That we can share it with others so that they can know their God. The focus of the true gospel is, is the Father, is God. Look back to verse 11 here with me real quick. You will be enriched. Let me just stop there. 
You, you ever done something like that? Oh, I like that. We're going to stop there. Close your Bibles. Let's pray. And we'll send you out. Have a good morning. You will be enriched. All right, man, I'm going to go out believing that. Boy, we do that sometimes, don't we? You know, my, my, my kids come up to me. Hey, hey Dad, can I, can I go play over at so-and-so's house? And I say, you can go do your chores first. What do they hear? You can go. No, I said, you can go do your chores. <laughs> no, Dad said I can go. No, Dad did not say that. Dad had many other words that came after you can go. But sometimes we do that with God. Like, You'll be enriched. Oh, that was awesome. I wanted to hear that. That's all I want to know here this morning. But no, no, th- th- there's more to it. We've got to keep it in context, friends. Again, this is, this is where we see that the heart isn't just on us. It's not just one of, hey, what, what do I get out of this? But the, the, the focus of the true gospel is on God. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in your living. This is the fourth thing. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Think back to the prodigal son real quick with me. Why, why did the father give his son, the one who had, who had taken half of his father's belongings as his inheritance and basically said, Dad, you're dead to me. And he went wild living and, and just lost everything. And he tried to go away different than the father that led to death and destruction. He came back home hoping to just simply be a servant. And before he even has a chance to say, Dad, I'm sorry, can I, can I be a, a servant? Probably wouldn't have been Dad, it would have been Sir, Mr. Jones. Mr. Father, whatever he was, can I be a servant? Before he even has a chance to utter those words, the father runs to him, embraces him, puts his robe on him, puts his ring on him. You know why he did that? He is reestablishing his son's position as son. He's reinforcing his son's identity, saying, you are my son. Some scholars unpack this even more to say, hey, in that day and age, in that time, the village would have had a right to stone this disobedient son for his actions to his father. And by running out, the father basically said, stop. No. He, I'm the one he wronged, and I say he's my son. I say he's all good. He basically went, ran out saving his life, saying, this is my son. And he's bestowing that sonship back on him. He's reminding him of who he is. The heart of the father would be, would be to see the son follow after his footsteps. So the, the, the father does, just goes out, embraces his son, reinstates him, why does he do that? Is, is the hope of the father now that, hey, he'll take more and just go run again? No, the hope of the father is that the son will return and, and follow after his heart. The father wants to see his son move from someone who was a take and spender, take what wasn't his and go and spend it, to someone who will receive and giver. Someone who will receive what the father blesses him with and go and give it to others. That's the father's heart. And so this full statement, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. God wants to give us amazing blessings so we will go and give that blessing to others. And in that process, be blessed ourselves. If you want to know some good news about what God's promises you, he's saying he wants to enrich you in every way so you can go and be generous with others. So if you're walking through this series, you're like, Steve, I, I want to be generous, but then I look at my checkbook. I want to be generous, but then I open my wallet. My, I don't know what I have to be generous with. And we've talked a little bit about how there's other things we can be generous with, with beyond our finances. But we're seeing a promise here of God saying, as we trust him, that we'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Yes, blessing and abundance will occur in our lives, but it's so that it can be passed on, so that it blesses others, honors God, and gives him the glory.
it's at the end of verse 11, which through us produces thanksgiving to God. This generosity brings about thanksgiving to God. There are two of our values here at Meadowland. We say that saved people serve, and then we say God's people give. Saved people serve and God's people give. This is because we've been so blessed by God that we want to go and bless others. That is why we serve. That is why we give. We've been enriched in every way so we can be generous to others. Honestly, a disciple of Jesus should be some of the most generous people on this earth, right? No matter how much or how little we have monetarily, we should be some of the most generous people on the face of this earth. And unfortunately, it does not seem to be the case. It doesn't seem to be the case. If you don't agree with me on this, find someone who's a server in your life. Find someone who lives off of tips in your life. And ask them their experience. Again, you don't know everyone who comes across, you know, if they're Christians or not. But uh, that there's times where, you know, people make that clear. Um, and you can see, man, are they living a life of generosity? Or are they being stingy? So let us be part of that change. Let us let this world know that, hey, we've been blessed in amazing ways. We've been enriched by God. And so we want to enrich you. We want to bless you and be generous. In the case of the Corinthians, Paul starts off praising this Macedonian church. He's using it as an example. And then he praises the Corinthian church. Hey, here's some good things you're doing. Hey, I want to encourage them. I want to encourage you to continue in that. But ultimately, the glory goes to God. Ultimately, the glory goes to God. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, referring to the gift, uh, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. They will glorify God because of this. And the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Our generosity is something that will bring God glory. Our generosity is a confession of the gospel of Jesus. We see that at the end of verse 13, the middle of verse 13 there. Your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's who we are. Because of the good news of Jesus, because we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, man, we can go and give generously. For some of you here this morning, you're sitting there saying, well, that's great, Steve, but I don't believe what you believe. I haven't received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm not really sure who he is right now. First of all, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're in this place, and we welcome your questions. We welcome you in this place, wherever you are in your journey with God. We love the, the honor and the privilege of walking with you in that journey. But I want you to know this, that this God that you may or may not know yet has led the way in giving. We talked about this past week as well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's expression of his love is that he's given to you so that in him you may find peace, in him you may find joy, in him you may find comfort no matter what's going on in the world around you. In him you find purpose, in him you find your all that you need in life. He is your creator, he is your maker, and I invite you to get to know him. I invite you to get to know him by living in a way that models how he lived. Even if you're not even sure still, you're still asking questions about who God is and who Jesus is. I invite you into this lifestyle of generosity, knowing that, hey, by living this, I, I can get to know a little bit more about who God is as I'm taking steps on my journey. Our generosity is a confession of the gospel of Jesus, that God so loved that he gave and that we've been so loved that we can give. So I want to close with this. What is the harvest of generosity? So if we want to plant a lot, 
We want to plan a lot of generosity. We want to be free with our giving. What's the harvest that we get back? What's the blessing that we receive back from God? Well, first and foremost, we see that some obvious fruit, that a bountiful harvest brings God glory, provision to others, and blessing to you. So God is blessed, and when God is glorified, others are blessed, others' needs are met, and then we're blessed as well in that act of giving. I mean, that right there is, is you've already gotten some fruit off the plant. That's already a, a beautiful thing, but I want to hit on three things real quick as we wrap up. Uh, what is the harvest of generosity? When we plant much, some of the things that we receive back is this, provision from the hand of God. Provision from the hand of God. Provision from the hand of God. This is for both for others and for us that our needs will be met. God's promising that our needs will be met. I think sometimes we mix up our, our wants and our needs. But what's beautiful about this is as we pursue the heart of God is that our desires begin to change. And God begins to meet our desires as well as our needs. And when I'm saying that, I'm not going back to prosperity gospel. Hey, that, that new car you wanted, God's going to provide that. That's not where he's going. But as we pursue the heart of the Father, our heart changes. And all of a sudden, we begin to celebrate what the Father's heart is. We begin to get excited about what God's excited about. Because we begin living in the reality of who God has made us to be. And so we're provided for. God promises his provision. He'll meet our needs. And as our heart changes to be after his heart, he even meets our desires. Because we begin to desire the things that he desires. Another fruit of the harvest of generosity is a proximity to the heart of God. So we get provision from the hand of God, proximity to the heart of God. Uh, we asked last week what son was close to the heart of the father in this story of the prodigal son, the one who left or the one who stayed. And we said they, they both kind of missed the mark, right? Because the one was disobedient and, and said his dad was dead to him, and the other one uh, wasn't willing to receive back his brother. All I could think about was, hey, I, I never got that party. Or, hey, all these things that you're giving him, in essence, are mine because he already took his half of the inheritance. But when we give to God, when we give generously, we're modeling God's heart and we're proclaiming the gospel. Yeah, I think so many times this, this heart of being close to proximity or being close to the heart of God, um, so many times we're asking God, what do you want for my life? You, you ever ask God that question? God, what do you want for my life? What do you want me to go and do? Maybe you ask that question from a place of, of, of uh, hopelessness or confusion. You're not sure what to do next. Maybe you ask that question from a heart of obedience. God, I, I just want to do what you want me to do. Or maybe you just want to kind of throw up your hands and be like, hey, can this just be a ride that I get to ride on and enjoy? And you just kind of steer. Whatever the heart in that question. I think we've all asked that question at some point or another. God, what do you want me to do? And here's the desire I think most of us have in asking that question. Is we want God to speak to us. We want God to answer us in relationship to the specific aspects of life. Right? God, what do you want me to do? Where should, okay, here's one that I've never asked, but probably a good one to ask. God, where should I have lunch today, right? That would solve so much conflict in the world if we just, God would tell us, where should I have lunch today? Sometimes that's what our heart, is that specific, God, where, where should I work? Where, you know, who should I marry? Where should I live? Um, wh- how should I get involved? We ask these real specific questions, and, and they're valid questions. We can ask God these questions, but sometimes we get stuck in, in this place of just waiting for an answer until God answers in a way we desire or the way we can understand clearly. We, we say we're not going to go there. But God has already said plenty in the general aspects of our life. 
We sit and wait for a specific answer when God has already said so much in how we're going to live in the general aspect of our lives. God's already told us, here's how I want you to go and live. Oh, so, so where do I read this to where I should go to college? God's already told me how I should live. Where, where does God say how many kids I should have? Or when I, is it, am I too young to get married? Or, you know, or, or, you know, where do I see that? Again, I think we're always looking for the specific, which is an okay question to ask. But don't let that stall you out when God has already said much about the general aspects of how we should go and live. When we're generous with much, one of the things we receive is that we become close to the heart of God and we can see what he has for us. We can understand his word better. We can see all the different ways that God has called us to live, one of which, again, is being generous for the sake of others. So we have provision from the hand of God, proximity to the heart of God, and we have participation in the handiwork of God. Participation in the handiwork of God. We get to do work with God. I don't know, if my son, he's only two years old, so right now it becomes more of a, of a uh, hindrance than a help, uh, but it's still something that I want to enforce in him. But the kid loves to work. The kid loves to work. And, and some, I often find myself out in the garage, and he'll just uh, let himself out into the garage. He'll come and join me. And if I'm sweeping something up, he'll go grab another broom, and, and he'll just get right in that pile, and he'll spread it all over the place. Now, in his head, he's seen Dad sweep something up, and he's trying to help. He, he wants to, to be a part of what Dad is doing. And I love that heart. And so I always need to check my own heart. While I get frustrated because i got to sweep again, I, I want to reinforce his heart of wanting to be about what his dad is doing. That's a beautiful thing. And I, I hope I can teach him to apply that to his Heavenly Father, that he can be excited to do what God is doing. And sometimes I think we're like that two-year-old. We, we see God doing something, and we get all giddy and excited, and we grab our broom, and whoop, we just make a mess of it. We don't even, but God just, I got this. And he makes something beautiful. Because he invites us to be a part of his work. He invites us to be a part of his mission. Meadowland exists to see lives changed by Jesus and disciples of Jesus made. And that's done by engaging in our community, by engaging with our neighbors, by sharing with them why we have the hope that we have in Jesus. God invites us into that. To sweep, I don't know what to say. My son doesn't know how to sweep, and he sweeps. I, I don't know how to, how to do this thing called discipleship. Let's learn together. Let's go together in that. It's not about how, what we can do, but it's about being a part of the handiwork of God when he is providing. In the same way that I could say my garage floor got flooded, I got to do it with my son, and I wouldn't have it any other way. We have an invitation to participate with the God of the universe, our Holy Father, who's made us. See, we, we long to be a part of something greater than ourselves, right? A purpose, a vision for what does God have for us? When we live a life of generosity, one of the things that we reap in that harvest is we get to participate in the handiwork of God and be blessed by God. Last year, we had a plentiful harvest of zucchini as did a few others in the church. And it actually led to one of our summer under-the-tent days was Zucchini Day. And, and you'd think if you just advertise it as Zucchini Day that we're going to have a low attendance on that Sunday. <laughs> that's, that's not how it played out, fortunately. Um, but also, it was amazing food. I, I, never, I never realized all the amazing dishes you can hide zucchini in and say it's healthy because it has zucchini in it. Um, but here's one, of the, at least for the Erickson family, here's one of the reasons we had so much zucchini. Uh, we go to the store, we... we I'm not cool enough yet to do the plant some seed, and so we buy the already half-grown plants, and then just, they're kind of cheating, but whatever, uh, back off. Um, and so we want to make sure we had zucchini. And, and so to ensure we get one, we bought two. 
and we planted both. But here's what, what, what's interesting, is I didn't realize that they'd already put two in each pot. And so when I planted two, hoping for one, I planted four and got four. Every single one thrived. I mean, it was just the grace of God, too, because you, you heard my ability at gardening. Um, and, and so we had more zucchini that we know what to do with. I mean, it was like we were making friends by saying, hi, I'm Steve. Would you like a zucchini? And it was like we're trying to give these things away however we could. But when the sowing is plentiful, then so is the harvest. And when that harvest is plentiful and, and we're living in the identity of who God has made us to be, then that's something that we bring to the tent. We call the community around to let's share this together. That God will give to us here and enrich us generously so we can go be generous to others. Let's live in the truth of who God is making us to be by being a generous people. For those who aren't following after God right now but are interested in who he is, I invite you to live in the truth of being generous to get to know a little bit more about who your God is. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you for your example of love that, that he gave in your love. Father, I pray that our heart would follow after you, our heart would chase after you, and that, man, we would have amazing stories to give as we think on this, this topic of, of, of generosity, as we live out this topic of generosity, Father, let this be our identity, or a piece of it at least. Ultimately, our identity is in you, but as a result of who we are in you, you've made us to be generous. Father, let us so much. Let us find all kinds of different places to give. Let's look for places where we know that the gospel is being told. Let's give to your church in great ways, Father. What a, what a beautiful Sunday to have another team up here on stage with me as well, seeing that, that the church is greater than just what's taking place here in this moment, but in other communities throughout our counties, throughout our state, throughout our world, the church is gathered. Throughout time, the church is gathering. Let us give to the church, Father God. Let us give to other organizations who are on the front lines of sharing your gospel. Let us give to those in our lives that we come across, Father, so we can proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus by the way that we give generously. When we find a neighbor in need, when we find uh, uh, someone in our life who is in need, regardless of how they got there, regardless of the situation, Father, let our first response be one of generosity. Break our hearts. Break our hearts, Father, so that they break for, that break for us. that our hearts would be changed so that when we see these needs in our daily life, Father, we would not respond with contempt or we would not respond with um, a blind eye or a cold shoulder, but that our hearts would be soft and we would respond with you through generosity. We trust in you, Father, that you will provide the seeds for us to sow, that you will provide us with an amazing harvest that will be a blessing in our life, Father God, so we can be a blessing to others. Father, our heart is thankful for who you are. You are an amazing God. 